This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Diabetes Knowledge and Practice Podcast, your bi-weekly source of news, views, and updates in diabetes care. Today's episode is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk AS, who has had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. As always, I'm James Bannister. And I'm Emma Phillips. In today's episode, we're going to focus on how to achieve multifactorial targets. That is, the combination of glycemic, blood pressure, and lipid targets. Later on, we'll be joined by our guest expert, Dr. Kevin Fernando, who will be providing specific advice on how to help patients meet these combined targets. As always, do feel free to skip ahead to this expert interview if you're already familiar with guideline recommendations. You can also find links in the episode notes to all the publications and guidelines we mentioned in today's episode. As covered in detail in previous episodes in this series, it's important to help people with diabetes establish glycemic control early in the disease course, ideally within the first year of diagnosis, to avoid micro and macrovascular complications further down the line. However, it's also important to ensure their blood pressure and lipid targets are also met. In fact, the ESC 2019 guidelines state that if we can support our patients in achieving all three of these targets, we can reduce the risk of cardiovascular events by up to 75%. While lifestyle intervention should be the foundation of all treatment plans, as we discussed last week, many people with diabetes will require additional support through a therapeutic intervention in order to meet their targets. However, there are a wide range of available therapeutics, with seven different drug classes and over 20 individual agents indicated to treat type 2 diabetes. When charged with assisting HbA1c, blood pressure, and cholesterol simultaneously, how should we navigate choices? Fortunately, guidelines have produced clear recommendations on suitable therapeutic approaches across all three domains. Let's begin with HbA1c. In December 2019, an update was published to the EASD ADA consensus statement from 2018 that presented two key changes to the algorithm. First, guidelines now recommend engaging patients in shared decision-making regarding initial combination therapy in new-onset cases of type 2 diabetes. Second, the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors should be considered independently of baseline HbA1c or individualised target. If no cardiorenal concerns are present and your patient is currently receiving metformin monotherapy, the guidelines remain similar to the 2018 guidelines. If they're not meeting their HbA1c target, consider which of the following is most important to your patient. Reducing weight, avoiding hyperglycemia or minimising costs. A choice between GLP-1 receptor agonists and SGLT2 inhibitors is recommended for weight loss, with the addition of DPP-4 inhibitors or thiazolidine diones to the recommended choices, where avoiding hypoglycemia is the sole priority. Finally, if cost is the priority, then the guidelines recommend a choice between sulfonylureas and thiazolidine diones. We'll discuss how to choose between these options and decisions at third-line treatment with Dr. Fernando later in the interview portion of the podcast. Moving on to blood pressure... Here the guidance is slightly simpler, where patients are above 140 millimeters of mercury, provide an RAAS blocker, either an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. If a patient is severely hypertensive, then you should refer to a cardiologist for a more intensive hypertension management strategy. And finally, cholesterol. As we discussed in our episode on setting individualized targets, a person's cholesterol target will be individualized based on their cardiovascular risk. Those at higher risk will have a lower cholesterol target and thus may need a higher intensity of treatment in order to reach this. 
To reduce cholesterol, guidelines recommend starting all patients on statins. If targets are not obtained through statins, ezetimibe can be added alongside statins. Finally, the addition of PCSK9 inhibitors should be considered if targets are still not met on dual therapy. If any agent is not tolerated, discontinue this and advance to the next agent in the sequence. Overall, guidelines recommend similar stepwise approaches to the management of multifactorial targets, adding agents until a target is met. However, can strategies be combined in order to achieve more with fewer therapeutics? Conversely, what if patients can only achieve one or two targets? Joining us this week is Dr. Kevin Fernando, a GP partner at North Berwick Health Centre near Edinburgh and Scottish lead of the Primary Care Diabetes Society. He'll be providing his guidance on how to navigate guideline recommendations and provide a holistic, multifactorial treatment plan. Thank you for joining us again, Dr. Fernando. So, first of all, are multifactorial targets the responsibility of just their relevant speciality, so diabetologist, cardiologist, and lipidologist respectively, or can other members of the treatment team coordinate care? If so, what advice can you offer on how to achieve this? Multifactorial targets are absolutely the responsibility of all uh, healthcare professionals involved in the ongoing care of that person living with diabetes, not just the uh, diabetologist, not just the cardiologist, not just the, the lipidologist, uh, the, the GP, the practice nurse, the podiatrist, the dietitian are also an integral part of, of helping support that uh, individual achieve their multifactorial target. So everybody along that uh, individual's journey has to reinforce the importance and, of course, the benefits of, uh, of achieving these multifactorial targets. Well, we have considerable evidence from over the years. The seminal Steno 2 trial reminded us that uh, you know, fairly aggressive multifactorial approach to, to, to targets, cardiometabolic targets, significantly improve not just quality of life, but quantity of life too, uh, by a significant reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events. So uh, we as a team need to reinforce to, to, to that individual the benefits of, say, a significant reduction in blood pressure. And that really makes those benefits much more tangible. So, you know, I routinely tell my patients, if we can help support you drop your blood pressure by 10 millimeters of mercury, that can result in an up to a 30% reduction in uh, lifetime stroke risk. Similarly, if we can help support you drop your LDL cholesterol by one millimole per litre, either non-pharmacologically with dietary intervention or, or pharmacologically with, say, a statin, we can reduce 10-year cardiovascular risk by up to 20 to 25%. And then in terms of HbA1c, we, of course, have the seminal UK PDS data uh, that demonstrated a 1% reduction in HbA1c can lead to a near 40% reduction in the microvascular uh, complications of diabetes, including a retinopathy, which of course very much resonates with everyone living with diabetes, and also uh, a, a just over a 20% reduction in, in diabetes-related mortality. So th these are facts and figures. If they're reinforced by all primary care, uh, healthcare professionals, and, and my secondary care colleagues can really help motivate people living with diabetes to achieve their multifactorial targets. I see. So in terms of therapeutics, can we select agents that help to address multiple targets simultaneously? If so, how would you recommend considering these agents alongside the guideline escalation models? So we're living and working in a, a new area of diabetes management. We, we have to think 
beyond glycemia because over the years it's been clearly demonstrated in several high quality uh, trials that we have drugs not that not that not just lower glucose but result in significant improvements in both adverse cardiovascular outcomes and also in reducing the progression of of kidney disease um these agents include sglt2 inhibitors and uh, glp1 analogs so absolutely we do now have agents that can a- address multiple targets simultaneously this of course makes it very challenging for us all working <coughs> excuse me in primary and secondary care uh, because modern diabetes care now really doesn't lend itself to an algorithmic pathway of management that typical sort of treatment escalation model because what we need to do is look at that person sat in front of us but also look at any significant comorbidities present be it atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease be it renal disease be it heart failure and then use these comorbidities to to guide our choice of therapy so a real learning curve for us all in primary and secondary care a real change in thinking compared to more traditional guideline escalation models and um, think of comorbidities now um uh, as well as glycemia don't get me wrong i'm not saying glycemia is not important glycemia does very importantly protect against microvascular disease um but uh, with these new agents we have compelling evidence again to improve quantity and quality of life by helping address multiple cardiovascular and renal targets simultaneously now intensive therapy to achieve multiple targets can lead to polypharmacy or at least a lot of medicines for people with diabetes to keep track of what advice can you give to help support patients with adherence so multimorbidity polypharmacy intensive therapy to achieve multiple targets is an increasing challenging uh, challenge for us in primary and secondary care uh, most of the individuals i see now in primary care have two conditions rather than one condition uh, and often one of those conditions is indeed type 2 diabetes and as i've mentioned already in, in this new era of diabetes care we have agents ca- that can address these multiple targets uh, and to kind of help achieve these multiple targets in those with diabetes and comorbidities of course it can be a, a hard sell can't it to individuals living with diabetes uh, to take these multiple medications with the potential side effects but once again if we're clear to that person living with diabetes about the significant benefits of them not just in improving the symptoms of diabetes by reducing glycemia the thirst the polyuria the lethargy but for a quite clear that these multiple medications this more intensive approach can also help improve quantity of life too by reducing the adverse cardiovascular outcomes and renal outcomes that can hopefully help motivate individuals take these multiple medications because if you look at such resources at the as the NHS Scotland polypharmacy guidance it's quite clear that there is a uh, appropriate portfolio pharmacy as well as inappropriate polypharmacy it's the latter group really that seems to be getting a lot of traction recently uh, because unfortunately as doctors as nurses as pharmacists we're pretty good at starting drugs we're not so good at stopping drugs particularly in those who are increasingly frail so there's a big push for that but we mustn't forget there is an increasing group of uh, individuals like we're talking about just now where polypharmacy is appropriate uh, to improve symptoms of diabetes but also to reduce the major complications associated with diabetes such as renal disease and cardiovascular disease 
Thank you again. So with the last of today's time, could you please comment on how the recent update to EASD and ADA guideline recommendations to consider cardiovascular risk independently of HbA1c relates to how to achieve multifactorial targets? The update to the ESD ADA consensus uh, statement from earlier this year, 2020, is definitely a step in the right uh, direction to help us all in primary and secondary care achieve these multifactorial targets. Because again, uh, this consensus statement update asks us to think of not just the glycemia, but of significant comorbidities. Uh, and these newer agents, the SGLP2 inhibitors, the GLP1s, uh, have compelling benefits in both cardiovascular and renal disease, particularly the the SGLT2 inhibitors in the context of of renal disease. So I think they're a a very useful asset addition to our armamentarium in primary and secondary care to help tackle these multiple bacterial targets. Um, So, you know, looking in the future, you know, all major guidelines across the world uh, will increasingly or are increasingly updating their recommendations to, to, to reflect this sort of consensus, the expanding evidence base. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, so far, the, the odd one out is nice, but they have uh, started their guideline update process. So hopefully in the not too distant future, we'll see an updated NICE diabetes guideline as well, giving us similar recommendations to look at significant comorbidities and not just focusing on the glycemia. Thanks again for joining us today, Dr. Fernando. This brings us to the end of today's time. To summarize, guidelines recommend reviewing people with diabetes every three months and to consider adding an additional agent in a stepwise approach if they're not meeting any of their targets. When dealing with multiple targets, remember, patient communication is important to ensure adherence and timely escalation. Finally, please do visit the guidelines in the notes of this episode, where you can find the full algorithm and advice, including the 2019 update. If you'd like to hear more from us at Diabetes Knowledge and Practice, and you haven't done so already, please do subscribe to the podcast using your favourite app. If you found the episode useful, please leave us a review or tweet us at DKI Practice. Next week, we'll be speaking with patient advocate Ken Tate on the involvement of patients in treatment decisions. If you have any questions for Ken, please do tweet us at DKI Practice and we'll do our best to answer them in the next episode. Thanks for joining and we look forward to podcasting with you again soon.